Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Our text today is Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And it says, May the God of, all, of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Have you ever given uh, or received a puppy for Christmas? You've seen it on TV commercials for sure. A super cute, tiny, cuddly fuzzball, usually wearing a bright red bow around its neck. It's, Usually either comes bounding around the corner or peeks its head out of a box. As soon as the kids or special someone lifts a loose-fitting lid, it's always adorable and starts giving kisses or tumbling out over its clumsy, oversized paws. You can feel the warm fuzzies even now as we talk about it, right? So if you've ever been, actually been involved in one of these Christmas morning puppy gifts, you know what it's like to try to put a puppy in a box. That little bundle of love and joy. We won't mention the dog hair and, and perhaps even the accidents. just does not want to be contained in a box. You certainly can't wrap them up for a week before and stick his box under a Christmas tree. You have to work to keep him hidden, probably somewhere outside the house. Then you have to wait until exactly one minute before the kids come down the stairs to drop that doggy into the box and probably bribe him with a treat or a toy that might occupy him for 38.6 seconds so you can just pop on the lid and, and rush him into the hands of his new best friend. Some people just skip the box altogether, hide out in the next room and put that puppy on the floor and let him come bounding into the room into the squeals of delight. You see, a dog is just uncontainable in a box. It comes spilling out to love and lick everyone that's around. And it doesn't stop there. The people who receive a puppy for Christmas can't keep it to themselves either. They pass that little pup around to everyone in the house, and they don't stop there. They carry it or lead it around to the neighbors. They drive with it to relatives or friends, to the store or to the dentist, or maybe not the dentist. But they want to show and share this adorable little ball of fur with everyone they can. And then those people want to go grab their kids, husband, girlfriend, or whoever, whomever to share the cuteness and happiness that this little puppy exudes. While it was a little late for Christmas, Missy and I got a new puppy in early 2020. Our daughter had just gotten married, and while we were happy for her, we felt the loss, and I think Missy felt it the most. 
We enjoy having dogs, but hadn't had any since the last one passed away. Years prior, I thought it might be time for another dog and began to look before the wedding. We found out that a sister of a friend had standard poodle puppies for sale, and she lived right on our way back home from where the wedding took place. So, exhausted from a long week and a hundred hours of work and nearing the end of a 19-hour drive, we picked up a white ball of fur we eventually named Daisy. Daisy's never in a bad mood and always happy to see people, anybody. I think she may, she'd make a terrible guard dog. I have a feeling if Emma broke in her house, she would wag her tail and, and wondering if the, if the burglars were going to give her any treats uh, as she led them to our precious valuables. She loves to walk with Missy, run with me, and insists on playing catch just about every evening. When we're out with Daisy, it's not unusual for people to stop their cars to get a closer look at her. One woman always has dog treats with her and never fails to give Daisy a treat. Even though she's a large dog, she has no problem trying to sit on your lap to the amusement of everyone in the room. Daisy brings us lots of joy and has helped us cope with empty nest syndrome. Joy is a lot like puppies. Fortunately, it's not as hairy and isn't as much of a mess, but joy is boundless and uncontrollable. Joy overflows. And when you've experienced joy, you want to share it with someone else or as many people as you can. Joy bubbles over and touches everyone it comes to contact with. Joy is what we're celebrating this third Sunday of Advent. If you've been journeying with us the past two weeks toward Christmas, you, you know that we've been celebrating Advent. As a quick recap, the word Advent means coming or arrival, and the season is marked by expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It's a season that links the past, present, and the future. Advent offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth and be alert for his second coming. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope fulfilled in Christ's coming, while at the same time looking forward in hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns for his people. During Advent, we wait for both. It's an active, assured, and hopeful waiting. And each week, we focus on a different attribute of God represented in the coming of Jesus. Hope, love, joy, and peace. Because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the embodiment of these traits who has entered our world and who fills us with them all. If you're here with us on the first Sunday of Advent, you remember that we talked about Zechariah. Luke 1 tells a story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They were the parents of John the Baptist. 
who was sent to prepare a way for Jesus, the Messiah. Zechariah was a priest and who received a visit from an angel who told him, Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you're to call his name John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. The catch was that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. Elizabeth was beyond childbearing years and the couple had never been able to have kids. So besides a shock from talking to an angel, Zechariah couldn't get over the fact that it was possible for his wife to have a baby. As a result, his voice was taken away until the child was born. But today, let's look a little closer at Elizabeth. Because in the story of God with us, she deeply experienced joy in the midst of the miraculous event she found herself suddenly in the middle of. To understand Elizabeth's joy, however, we have to understand a little bit about her pain. You see, for the ancient Jews, children were a tremendous blessing. Psalm 127 tells us, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Children allowed a family to pass on its name and heritage. They provided more hands to handle the daily tasks of life or expand their ability to to forge a livelihood through their trade or craft. More importantly, children were viewed as a gift from God and a sign of God's favor. To be childless then was a source of great frustration, sorrow, and shame. And Elizabeth would have known this despair for years. She most likely would have married Zechariah when she was a young teenager, and the couple would have imagined that it would have been like to have a home full of kids. She would have dreamed of holding her own babies. She might have made lists of names in her mind, drawing from the family names that were passed traditionally down the family lines. At first, Elizabeth might have dismissed the lack of a pregnancy. Maybe the timing just wasn't right to conceive. Or maybe like many, uh, some of you in this room have probably experienced there was a pregnant, there was a pregnancy. Joy and hope would have leaped in Elizabeth's heart when she realized that a new embryo had sprung to life in her womb. Maybe she even told people that she was pregnant, but then something happened. And there was a miscarriage. And while physically hard and emotionally painful, Elizabeth might have dismissed the first one or two as a fluke. But as many times as pregnancy began, it came to an end prematurely. Friends and family probably offered encouragement and shared her sorrow. They might have offered advice. I'm I'm sure they did. Knowing how people are. Offered advice while well-intentioned was just pl- was just hurtful. 
Maybe there's some sin in your life that you need to confess, they may have told her. They might have said, when we tried this, it helped us get pregnant. Maybe something's just wrong with you. Who knows how long it took. But gradually, year after year, Elizabeth's hope would have slowly died as she came to terms with the fact that something was wrong, that she could not have a child. At some point, the social stigma would have stuck. Barren, they called her. It became a shameful and permanent mark. Elizabeth would have grieved over the loss of ever being a mother. She would have accepted the loss of the status that came in her culture from bearing children. She would never be considered as worthy or esteemed as other women. She accepted her fate as a failure in the eyes of her society. Still, Elizabeth would have known some happiness as well and would have been deeply involved in community life, especially since Zechariah was a priest. And though she carried her own emotional burden beneath the surface, she and Zechariah remained faithful to God. Luke described them like this. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. This is how they planned on living the rest of their lives, serving God and the people around them. And then God came. On an ordinary day when Zechariah had worked in the temple, the angel Gabriel showed up out of the blue with a miraculous message. Zechariah couldn't even tell his wife what the angel had said. He would have had to either write it out, if Elizabeth could read, or use signs and gestures to give his wife the news. Can you imagine trying to play charades? Are you saying I'm getting fat? That would not work out very well, probably. But eventually, she figured it out, didn't she? Either from him or from her own body. She realized something was happening. It seemed too good to be true. Hope must have kicked in her heart like a thump of a baby in the womb. Could she even allow herself to go there? Could she open her heart to the possibility after hoping and waiting and, and, waiting and praying for so long only to be let down again and again and again? From what we can tell from Luke's account, it seems Elizabeth had an easier time of accepting the miraculous news than her husband. And as soon as she was pregnant, saying, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, she has, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. What's curious is that Luke also told us that Elizabeth spent the first five months of her pregnancy in seclusion. And there's no way for us to know exactly why. Maybe she knew no one would believe her news until she was definitely showing. Or maybe she had been there and she was afraid the pregnancy might be lost like earlier ones. Maybe she couldn't bear going through that loss and shame publicly again. 
Maybe this was her way of sharing her husband's silence as they lived daily through a miracle unfolding before their eyes and literally inside Elizabeth's body. What we do know is that in her sixth month, Elizabeth experienced a deep encounter with joy brought by the coming of the Messiah whose human life had just sprung into being in Mary's womb. As we discussed last week, young Mary left her home shortly after her own angelic visit and came to stay with her husband, Elizabeth, for three months. As soon as she, as soon as she arrived, Elizabeth's baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a sudden end to her silence and seclusion, Elizabeth's joy overflowed and she greeted Mary with a beautiful and insightful blessing. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. The puppy was out of the box now. Joy was flowing. And true to its nature, joy was contagious. Mary burst into her own song of praise and thanksgiving as she gave words to the miracle happening through her. And finally she was understood and believed and affirmed without Mary even having to explain. Elizabeth knew and gave voice exactly what was going on. Maybe God had revealed this to her earlier. Maybe God opened her eyes on the spot as her miracle son John recognized the miracle son of God. But more than anyone else in the world was able to, these two women understood each other and shared a joy that could no longer be contained. No matter how difficult the circumstances they were coming out of and still facing ahead. Already Emmanuel, God with us, was unleashing joy on earth. And already his joy was rippling outward when Elizabeth gave birth to John three months later. The joy of her miracle spread through her village and family. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And they shared her joy. Perhaps there is no joy greater than that of a mother holding her newborn child. For Elizabeth, the joy must have been especially overwhelming. She was experiencing a miracle, and it was a miracle that healed a lifetime of hurt, pain, disrespect, and shame. And it was only the beginning of the miracle she would witness in her lifetime. What would you and I give to know such joy? To see the scars and shame of our life washed away so dramatically. Most likely we won't see this happen through such an obvious miracle. But the joy Elizabeth 
experienced is available to us. This is the joy brought into our world by Jesus, God with us. And though we are living long past his time on earth, his life and his joy are available to us now. The Apostle Peter wrote, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. An inexpressible and and glorious joy. That's deep stuff. This is stuff that runs much deeper than happiness. We love to be happy. We love to feel good. But happiness comes and goes as the circumstances around us change by the hour and minute. Happiness can come from many things. Birthday parties and balloons, your favorite song on a perfect summer day, an encouraging message from a friend, winning the big game, a delicious meal. These are good and enjoyable things to be savored and enjoyed for sure, but all are fleeting. And pursuing happiness for the sake of happiness can be a shallow, self-centered pursuit. It is is the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness. Did you get that? The pursuit of happiness thwarts happiness. That I it's actually a quote from Viktor Frankl, the famous Jewish survivor of World War II Nazi concentration camps, who wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning. Joy includes happiness, but it runs much deeper. Joy permeates our souls. In our lives, the stuff of joy looks like the birth of your child, your wedding day, being declared free of cancer, your loved one coming out of a coma with no brain damage. Joy is rooted in gratitude, meaning, and hope fulfilled when it's based on a relationship with our Creator. Joy comes from God with us. Jesus is the source of our joy. Peter called it an inexpressible and glorious joy that is part of our inheritance we are receiving in Christ. With His life and the promise of eternal uh, life beyond this world, we find the deep, kind of joy that fulfills us no matter the pain that we still face on earth. As Jesus explained to his disciples about his coming death and resurrection uh, from John chapter 16, it says, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. As we turn our eyes expectantly to Jesus in this Advent season, as we walk with Him beyond toward the day when He will come again and fulfill His healing work, we can experience His joy in the process. As we know with confidence that even greater, unending joy awaits us one day. One day we will receive it in full. Yet even now we find hope and joy in the, what Jesus has done and what we know He will faithfully 
do in the future. And like Nehemiah of the Old Testament, the Jewish leader who faced great odds in, in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, we can experience in the truth that from Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's not gloss over this truth. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Maybe you are facing insurmountable odds right now. Maybe it's a besetting sin. Maybe it's soul-crushing grief. Maybe you are worn out from the trials of life. Whatever your circumstance, perhaps you're praying, Lord, I need strength. God can and will provide it to you through His joy. And you can receive his joy by being in a right relationship with him. And you can be in a right relationship with him by confessing and forsaking your sin and surrendering your life to him. Make Jesus your master. And you'll have all the joy you can handle and all the strength you need. We compared happiness and joy a little bit ago, but if there's one defining characteristic of joy that I hope you take away from our time together today, it is this. Joy defies our circumstances. Happiness comes and goes with positive events and experiences. Joy flows even in the face of challenge, hardship, or suffering. Joy drawn from Jesus, God with us, sees the big picture beyond the immediate pain. James famously said it best at the beginning of his, his book in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Joy understands that there is more than meets the eye, that God is always at work, even in the tough stuff of life, that eventually God will make everything right and healed and whole, including us. Because of that, we can experience joy in the here and now, no matter how bad the here and now looks and feels. Sure, there's a process involved. And that's part of the point. As we continue to practice opening our hearts to God's Spirit, immersing ourselves in His Word, and aligning our thinking and perspectives to His ways, we experience His Spirit working within us, bringing us clarity, understanding, and strength to trust and act in the joy he provides. What are the circumstances you're facing right now as we journey through toward Christmas? What are the situations that are stealing your joy? Or the hurts where pain seems to overrule? I don't mean to make light of what you are going through. Because I know pain is real for us all. But I can encourage you to take a look from another angle. Can I encourage you to ask 
God to give you another view to show you his big picture. You may not experience a miracle as clear as Elizabeth's, but in Advent and in Christmas, there is a miracle for us all. The miracle of God come to earth to be with us, to heal us, to forgive us, to redeem and restore all our pain, to turn it into good. This is a cause for joy, even in our darkest days. This was the message of the angel. Long ago, announcing the arrival of Christ to the terrified shepherds outside Bethlehem, from Luke chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Jesus, come to be God with us, has brought us joy. No matter what we are facing, Before we close today, I'd like to take a look at one more aspect of joy that we can apply as we continue our Advent observance. This is the fact that joy can be a choice and joy can be an action. We've talked about Mary in previous weeks and we talked about her today as she spent time with Elizabeth. Remember when Mary showed up at Elizabeth's house? Elizabeth was overcome with joy, which spread to Mary. When it did, the beginning of Mary's expression went like this, from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 48. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been merciful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. These are important words. With the key word being rejoices, it's, it's the active form of joy. It's the verb. And this is Mary choosing and embracing joy in the role she has been given by God. Remember at this point, for all she knew, Joseph was going to divorce her. He hadn't come to her yet. She didn't know at this point, she didn't know if she would stand in court and maybe face death. She chose to rejoice. Remember those cartoons and old movies where an army sergeant or leader asks for a volunteer? The mission is dangerous, sometimes ridiculously so. And it will require a brave and true individual willing to put his life on the line. Will the bold volunteer please step forward? And you know what happens. At the same second perfect coordination, the entire line steps backward, leaving the main character standing in front when the leader turns around. Forget volunteering, he is volunteered, whether he likes it or not. Mary could have looked at her situation a little bit like that. She didn't ask to be the mother of God's son. If she had been asked, she might have stepped backwards. But in Mary's words, we see her response. She rejoices. She chooses joy. She focuses on the big picture and embraces her difficult role. 
in a similar way in our own situations and seasons, we can do the same. We have our own difficult roles to handle. Difficult challenges in life that God has placed us in. We didn't ask to be placed there, but God has placed us there. And in those situations, we can choose joy. We can rejoice. We can embrace the miracle of God with us and align our vision with the work He is doing in and through us. Whether we see it or not, we know He is. The Bible is filled with verses exhorting and encouraging us to rejoice. And there's lots of it, probably because we need lots of reminders. Philippians 4.4 tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I say again, rejoice. Romans 12.12 says, Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. These are only the beginning. But the message and the takeaway is the same. We have reason for joy because God is with us and we choose to embrace it. Friends, let's choose to Make this a season of joy. Let's rejoice as we wait for the arrival of Christ. Let's celebrate his birth with joy, God with us. And so joy is with us because Jesus is with us. A joy that flows deep within our spirits and outward because of our King, our Savior is with us, always loving, always working, even in the midst of any hardship we will face. I leave you with this verse from Psalm 511. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let him ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Let us stand. Our precious God, we're grateful to you for the joy that we have in Christ. May we rejoice in everything, God. May we choose to rejoice in our circumstances, in the challenges, in the blessings. May we always rejoice in you and you and our relationship with you, God, I pray. We need your help, for your joy is in fact our strength, God. Be with us, we pray. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.